Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. My favorite guest for the year was Otmar Zafnauer, who was the CEO of Aston Martin Formula One at the time. He's since moved on to Alpine. But one of my favorite things about him was if you want to attract really great talent, then promote your existing team up and out as soon as possible, which doesn't sound like it makes sense. Normally, you most people hang on to their brightest and their best. However, his position was... If you promote up and out your brightest and your best, they continue to stay at the organization because they're getting the growth opportunities that they want. And then word gets out that you actually promote people's careers, and that makes you a more attractive manager than a different department. And he said, when one person leaves my department, I'll have 10 people waiting in line behind them. And where that came from is when he was promoted uh, at Ford, That's what his new hiring manager did because there was resistance in letting him leave his existing role into a new department. And the new department head said, oh, no, I I promote up and out as, as quickly as possible. And that's why everybody wants to work for me and why I get the best talent. And I thought that is such a great idea when it's explained. And I hope that people take that advice and promote our current workers up and out as soon as possible because that's one of the reasons why they leave, because they don't have the growth opportunities that they're looking for. Sure. So, Omar, just as a little bit of background, when Tessa and I started teaching the positive workplace at Harvard for the executive ed program, the one thing that we had said to ourselves when we did approach professional development to propose the course is it was based on evolution, that generous species throughout time they survive and thrive and selfish species go extinct. And even though we could have a debate about whether humans are generous or not, they actually do qualify as being generous because we have teams and teamwork that if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have buildings, we wouldn't have Zoom. So what we'd like to do with the show is create the evolution of the workplace by being generous, which is giving information and receiving information so that we can all survive and thrive. So that's the basis of the show. Yeah. So one thing I I didn't what you say, Michael, kind of makes sense to me. And it's the first time I've heard it that, uh, yeah, collaboration uh, uh, gets you to the next generation and you don't become extinct. But if you're a bit selfish, then you might. Um, The one thing that I did here at the very beginning when I got to this place was I had meetings with all the departments. And one question I asked everybody was, well, department by department, do you think humans are selfless or selfish? And I asked them that question and I, I got, well, I mean, there's only two answers, really. It's selfish or selfless. And then we had a philosoph- philosophical discussion that in teams, you can't be selfish. And we are all about team. Uh, you can't win in Formula One uh, if you only have, even if you have the best drivers and you don't have a good car and the car comes from team, you're not going to win. And you can have the best car and not the best drivers and you're not going to win. You've got to put it together at every little aspect of Formula One to win. Now, we've only won once. So you can say, well, that's because you guys are a bit selfish. 
But it's not because of that. It's because of the resources that we've had in the past. And as a matter of fact, with the little resources we've had, we've really outperformed where we should have been. And I think that comes from team and uh, having a, a team that's high performing means in the workplace, you have to have psychological safety. And psychological safety is you are happy to make mistakes without having the repercussions of them. And you got to say to yourself, well, I mean, how often are you going to be able to make mistakes without repercussions? You can't repeat them, but you have to be able to learn from them and then not make the same mistake again. And so often, if you don't have psychological safety in the workplace, people won't take the risks necessary to win because they're afraid of making those mistakes. So the first and foremost thing that we do here is to drive psychological safety. And one thing you need to do that is the leaders, not just me, but because we have a lot of managers here and then subgroups underneath those managers, when they make mistakes, they have to raise their hand and say, look, I screwed up. I'm really sorry. This is my fault. And when the leaders do that, then everyone underneath says, Ooh, if they're doing that and they're okay, then I should be okay. We're in it together. We're all pulling in the same direction and we don't stab each other in the back because somebody made a mistake psychological safety. Um, so that's one thing that I've, I've always promoted here. And that means you take risks sometimes. And from taking risks, you you win sometimes. And when you win because you've taken those risks, you know how to repeat it, minimize the risk and get the same result. So Admar, this is Tess. I, and thank you so much again for being here. I So I really appreciate what you said about psychological safety as I've really dug into that research in the past. Um, certainly creating an environment where you, people can feel free and encouraged to take risks and to know that they can learn from failure. But part of that formula is trust, right? Like where people feel that they can take those risks because they trust that, you know, the outcome will be that they won't be punished, but rather that they can learn from their mistakes. But also, how do you develop that level of trust, whether it's working within the organization? And then certainly, if you think about the team, right? And, and the, the amount of trust that's probably involved in every aspect of what you do, how do you create that environment, that culture of trust? Trust is learned. Um, it, it's not something that you can just say, oh, look, trust me, I'll do this. It's more your actions, not your words. And that happens over time. In treating people within the organization, we're all people, although we work for a Formula One team, you should treat them with respect for what they know and don't chastise them for what they don't. So first of all, respect everyone for what they know. And then it's just fundamental things that you probably should have been taught at home, not in a Harvard executive MBA. Uh, be honest with people. You know, that, that should come from the home, not from you shouldn't be teaching people to be honest. And have high integrity. You know, and if you have high integrity, honesty, treat them with respect. Before you know it, you get that trust. And there are many times, and if you ingrain that in your senior management, because I can't make every decision here, and I don't. They make decisions too. But if that's ingrained in them, there are oftentimes where you make decisions on other employees, and they think, you know what? If this is really going to be a good place to work, I should decide this instead of this. So it sounds to me, Omar, that you're already running the positive workplace. We just didn't have that 
that label. And when you mention psychological safety, that is that is the foundation of a positive workplace. My next question is: it's based on the generosity model, where we're going to we're going to give a goodie and we're going to get a goodie. So, what is one of your favorite things that you do at your organization that really creates a positive workplace? that you'd be willing to share with the audience where they might try it in their organization? So here, here's the thing that I used to do here and at other places where I work is in the old days, it was a Diet Coke, but you know, now it's, uh, it's sparkling water. So I used to get a sparkling water and I would walk around in the factory and just have a chat with people. And I would ask them, how did your son's cricket match go this weekend? And I would remember um, and, and I didn't do it just for effect. You know, I genuinely want, genuinely wanted to know how did he do? I know he plays County cricket. Did they win? Did they win? Spend two, three minutes. Uh, how's your daughter's swimming party? You know, I know that, uh, she felt a little bit uncomfortable in a bathing suit cause she's 15 and there are going to be boys there. And you told me this last week, how, how did it go? Oh, it all went well. Um, and you just get to know people. And you do it for an hour a day and you get to know them from their home life, what they're doing, not just at work. And you ask, and before you know it, that trust comes in, that positive workplace comes in. It's a good place to work. The boss cares about me and my family and and what I'm up to. And it's sprinkling that. For me, the CEO, it's sprinkling that magic dust or whatever it is on a few people every day. And they really, really appreciate it. So that's one one thing among many that I'll share with you. That one's amazing. And you were, I believe you were doing that before the research came out to support it, which was research by Isaac Prilotensky on mattering, that you made them feel like they mattered. And when people feel like they See, matter, they, they dive in. So I was a young engineer working at Ford Motor Company, and uh, um, I wanted to leave engineering and go into product planning. Um, And so I went to my boss and I said, look, I've got an opportunity to move into product planning. Um, And he said, no. He said, why would I let all my best engineers go uh, out of my department? Then I'll end up with a bunch of not the best ones, the second best ones or third best ones. So I'm sorry you can't go. So I went and told the product planning manager who wanted me to go and and work in product planning. I said, look, I'm sorry, I can't come. Frank won't let me go. He won't let his best engineers leave. Uh, And he said, how can I let all my best engineers leave my department? I'll be stuck with the not so good ones. Logical. And and this fellow, Paul was his name, said, look, what I'm going to do for you, Otmar, is I'm going to give you a promotion because at Ford Motor Company, the um, the rule was, if you're promoted, your manager can't stop you, which kind of makes sense. She said, great. So I went back to Frank and said, Frank, I'm leaving anyway. I got a promotion, so I'm leaving your group. So when I went to Paul, I said, Paul, I told him why Frank was going to stop me. I said, Frank says, if I let all my good engineers go, I'm going to be stuck with the not so good ones. In my department, I can't have that happen. And Paul says to me, you know what I do? All my best planners I promote out of my group. The best guys spend two, three years with me, they get a promotion out. And he says, I've got a reputation of promoting the best planners. And guess what? For everyone that leaves, 
I got 10 good ones knocking at my door wanting to come to me. And that's when I thought, you know what? Make it a good place to work, not just internally to Ford, but make it a good company to work for. And everybody will be knocking on your door that realizes that's a good place to work. That's a great policy now because so many people are leaving because they don't have growth opportunities. So to say that, hey, you're going to grow here, I, th I think it's brilliant. I love the fact that it, what you're saying gives people the courage to promote people up because they, there could be a line out the door of people that want to work with you because you have that reputation. I think that's great. You have that reputation. So, so when I came into Formula One, I thought, right, every Formula One team, everybody wants to work at them. What's going to distinguish one from the other? You know, there's seven of them in England, five of them within a radius of 10 miles. So why work here versus there? Is it pay? Um, you know, we all pay about the same. Is it the, the, the potential to win? That's a big one for us. So everybody wants to win because the value of winning is high. And, uh, you know, it's nice to go to the pub and say, oh, we just won another race on Sunday. And we all go to the same pubs and you finish seven. Well, that's not great. You know, everybody wants to win. But so I, I was thinking, how can you distinguish yourself? And, and when you're not winning, like we weren't winning, the best thing you can do is make sure that it's a great place to work. And then even though you're not winning, people will want to come. And there's only two, really two Formula One teams on the grid of 10 that are happy. Those who are winning, and it's usually one. And then those who are punching above their weight is exceeding expectations. So if you exceed expectations, everyone's happy too. Well, we didn't expect you to do this well, and you did this well, then you have a sense of pride. So it's it's those two things. But I've always, always, always said, make it a good place to work. You'll be able to attract the best people. But along those same lines, you know, when, when you do have those moments when you aren't winning the race or, you know, I think also in the last couple of years with the pandemic, there's been a lot of uncertainty. People are unsure of their futures. Um, how do you build that level of resilience in your, in your workers? Are there, is there anything more tactical that you do uh, so that the workers feel secure and they feel resilient and they stay loyal, even if you aren't on that winning streak? Small, small story. We went bankrupt three years ago. And at the time of bankruptcy, you can imagine um, the nervousness of the employees who had children in school, mortgages to pay, car payments to make. And the best employees received job offers from competitive teams because the, comp the competitors knew we were having financial problems. We were struggling paying our uh, uh, supply base, so and they all talk. Uh, we we're asking for money early from Formula One, and they all talk, so everybody knew. We didn't lose one employee through the bankruptcy process. And that's because they trusted when I said to them, hang in there, we'll be okay. Not one left. The year of bankruptcy, twice I had to use my own funds for a short time to pay the salaries. So I took money out of my own bank account and I paid the salaries so that everybody would get paid, pay their mortgages. And they knew that. They knew that my team principal, my CEO, not his company, risked a significant amount of money. Uh, for me, it was anyway, um, just to make sure that 
we were okay. And once they learn that, then they go to battle for you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.